0: Again, everybody, welcome to another great podcast of Jim Visevich, along with Jane Benson, or Jane Visevich, sorry, Jane Benson Visevich. Today's topic is the uh, Trump election, never-ending election, the Trump legal challenges. The Soundoff sister, former law professor at the University of Miami, Miami, will be joining us. We'll be talking about that, and... um, We'll be also be talking about Walter E. Williams, a frequent guest on this show. And for some reason, he liked to talk to us. I appreciate that very much. Walter passed at the age of 54. I think he was 84. 84. 84. He passed today at the age of 84, just before the, we went on the air with the show, I know, actually. I know. And his wife died almost, what?
1: Uh, 13 years ago. 13 this, years ago December, to this month. December 30th. 30th
0: used to joke about his wife all the time. He said once on the air, substituting for uh, Rush Limbaugh. He said, I got my wife knee pads for her birthday so she wouldn't hurt her knees, scrubbing the floor in our house. He used to make jokes about misogyny all the time. He wanted the uh, politically correct crowd to go after him. He was begging them to go after him. He was always joking around. He had a great sense of humor. Walter E. Williams a distinguished professor of economics at George Mason University. Like I said, a frequent guest, a staunch libertarian economist in the mold of Milton Friedman. Now that he's gone, he took the place of Milton Friedman after Milton Friedman passed, who was going to take Walter Williams' place. Thomas Sowell now stands alone as one of the great freedom-loving economists out there. It was Walter Williams and... Just a few others. So Tom Thomas, Saul, and Walter Williams, and that was it. We,
1: I, we had the privilege. I had the great privilege to talk to him twice. Um,
0: he was a guest on our show twice. So right?
1: you spoke with him numerous times.
0: Yeah. For some reason, he liked talking to us. I think he liked the fact that you were a refugee from communism. So that made you a freedom-loving, uh, market, free-market person as well. That's what he loved more than anything. We're going to play a portion of that when Barbara joins us. How's that? As soon as you put her on, you give her a call, Jane. Um, Barbara is going to join us momentarily. Then I'll play a little bit of of the Walter Williams that we downloaded. Hi, Jim. Hi, Barb. Joining us on the hotline right now, let me introduce you formally. Okay, Barb? She's, sure. She's, you've come to know her and love her as the Sound Off Sister, number one in your program and number one in your hearts as well. My sister, Barbara Weisich, former law professor at the University of Miami, lit, professor of litigation and former assistant U.S. attorney in South Florida, Miami. And also the first woman law partner. How about them, you feminists? How about that, you feminists out there? The first woman law partner breaking the glass here you see only Barbara at Shutz and Bowen, largest law firm in South Florida.
2: You, you know, I hate Barbara? this first Well, Jim, I hate this first everything. First woman woman this, first black that. I mean we're hearing a lot of that now. And it seems to me my my question, uh, although it may sound silly, is is the person qualified?
1: You know, I like that. I always wonder that. I wonder why you have to be first of anything unless you are worthy.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm with you, Jane. I'm with you totally. Anyway, I digress. I apologize. That's okay. Hey,
1: no, you know what? I was gonna say, not even I'm the first um Jim Vaisovich wife. There you go. I'm I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> Practice makes perfect.
0: There you go. So, Barbara, we are saddened today because Professor Walter E. Williams passed away today. Oh, I heard that, Jim. And Barbara, I heard that. He was a frequent guest on this podcast. He was a guest he sure was. at least twice that I know of. More than that, wasn't he? No, it?
1: I think it was twice. Twice.
0: Yeah. But he was a guest on me or on or on my show on numerous at least a dozen times. For some he reason. He was,
2: Jim. Mm-hmm.
0: For some reason, Walter Press, Professor Williams enjoyed talking to me, Barbara. I have no idea why. I think because we yeah, we're a libertarian.
2: Yeah, he he would come on for, uh, frequently, Jim, and I always enjoyed listening to him. And for anybody, I'm, I, I'm, not, I, I'm not plugging anything, but I'm going to. If anybody hasn't already read his book, Race and Economics, please go read it.
0: Yeah, please read it. Also, up from the projects, a kind of autobiography. Uh, Walter yeah, Williams I mean, grew up poor in Philadelphia.
2: He was he was an amazing person. I I always threatened to uh, see if I could somehow audit his um, the classes that he taught in economics because I thought that would be fun. The guy was just brilliant.
0: I told him I wanted to audit it too. He said, "Well, you better hurry up. I don't know how much longer I have." Jane said, "His wife died ex- how many years ago?" Jane.
1: Thirteen years ago, December. 30th. Thirteen years ago, this
0: month. Wow. And you know how much he uh. loved his wife.
1: Yeah, I mean, it it, just—it's—it we've
2: lost a great scholar.
0: He used to make fun. He'd say, I got my wife a new scrub brush for the floor. Or I bought my wife a new vacuum for her anniversary. He'd love doing that. He loved digging feminists or any kind of politically correct logic out there. He was totally against political correctness.
2: Completely against political correctness.
0: While well, rehearsed what he had to say about the minimum wage, he was the Milton Friedman of his time. When I told him that when he came on the, he said, "Please don't honor me too much." That's all humble he was. A lot of he people was. say
3: the minimum wage law is an anti-poverty device. It, you know, it right. reduces poverty. Well, that doesn't even pass the smell test. I mean, because if it were an anti-poverty device, rather than our spending all these millions and billion dollars, billions of dollars in foreign aid. We just tell Bangladesh and Haiti you could be rich like we are just have a higher minimum wage. <laughs> That's just utter nonsense. And then also the empirical evidence on the minimum wage law in 1948 the unemployment rate among black teenagers was 9.4% 1948 1948 the unemployment rate among white teenagers was like 10.2 the lower, labor, huh? it bl- was lower. It's lower for blacks than white. Yeah, uh-huh. and the labor force participation rates uh, for black teenagers were greater than uh, white mm-hmm. teenagers. Matter of fact, it was 106%. Mm-hmm. And so you say, well, well, how come in 1948? Was there less discrimination? Is that why? Or were blacks more in 1948 higher skilled than whites? No, it was the minimum wage law. Mm-hmm. And then also the extent of coverage in the minimum wage law because when it first came out, I think, I'm not absolutely sure, it only covered about 40-some percent of jobs. And so if you were thrown out of a job because of minimum wage law, there was this uncovered sector that you could go to. But now I think the minimum wage law covers like 98% or virtually all jobs.
0: His logic is impeccable, isn't it, Barbara? That was courtesy of Villanova University.
2: It always was impeccable. and And he always was able to kind of interject humor in his logic.
0: Come on is the minimum wage law eradicated poverty. Why don't we just go to poor nations in yeah. Africa and tell them to raise their minimum wage? Get there rid you of go all poverty.
2: Yeah, he just he was able to um, I guess coin phrases that made perfect sense to anyone listening, whether they had ever studied economics or not.
0: Well, the other thing we did here, the other reason he told me that he liked to come on, he said you were one of the few talk show hosts that actually read my book and read my columns. You to always talk about it and plug it. Race and economics is great, isn't it? He tells how the unions, always... he tells how the unions blocked out blacks from great jobs and great income.
2: Exactly. Exactly. That the All the people were that fun. pretend that they're, that they're open and equal and wonderful are the very people that have been repressing and depressing people for centuries.
0: Exactly. And here's a little bit more of Walter Williams. That was from Villanova University. This is from the Heritage Foundation. Foundation, let me play this. This is Walter Williams as well. I'm sorry, this is Walter Williams from Villanova University on the role of government. This ought to be good. This is Walter Williams on the legitimate role of government. You can find this also at Villanova.edu. I'm
4: uh, Peter Zaleski, Professor of Economics here at Villanova. It's my pleasure to welcome you to uh, tonight's uh, lecture by Walter Williams, from George University University. Before we, get, we begin, I just you to take a moment to recognize the uh, people who made today's event possible. Uh, first off, for providing the funding for tonight's event, uh, we are grateful to the Villanova School of Business, Dean Kevin Clark, the College of Arts and Sciences, Dean Jean-Anne Linney. The Department of Economics, Glenn Mal, department chair. The Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering, Ronald Shatterton, department chair. And Matthew Ryan Center, uh, Colin Sheen, director. Also, we received a grant from the National Headquarters of Omicron Delta Epsilon, and they are the International
0: Honorary Science Society grant. for Economics. I was and the I president of the I.D. Economics Honorary, Barbara Bucknell. Neat. I did not know that. O.D. Omicron Delta Epsilon. <laughs>
4: Villanova Students for Liberty. All right. Uh, they are headed by Matthew Oranges and <laughs> Venus And Aboino. Uh, Students for Liberty, those, those are the gentlemen out there passing out the programs
5: and the greeting you as you came in to, uh, to the Villanova room. Uh, also, I'd like to thank them,
4: too, for their financial support. They, uh, they picked up the tab for the uh, printed programs uh, for tonight's talk. So thank you for that. I uh, have one more person to thank, and it's a very important person. Uh, way back, this is last summer, August, this past
3: summer. Begging or die in the streets, but stopped is to look at what has happened to taxation and spending. Ladies and gentlemen, there's only one way to look at taxes. Taxes represent government claims on private property. Indeed, if government were to tax private property at 100%, it would confiscate private property. And indeed, taxes are going up. An even better measure of what government does is to look at what has happened to spending. Let's go back to the turn of the last uh, century well, let's say 1902, expenditures at all levels of government, federal, state, and local levels of government, totaled $1.7 billion. The average taxpayer that year paid $60 in federal, state, and local taxes. In fact, from 1787 until 1920, federal expenditures were only 3% Three percent of the GDP, except during wartime. Today, federal expenditures alone are close to four trillion dollars, or 30 percent of the GDP. Unbelievable. Mark. State and local governments, they That's spend amazing. close to three trillion dollars. The average taxpayer today spends 10 is 10,000 dollars a year in federal state and local taxes. Now what's the significance of all this? Well the significance is that as time goes by, you and I own less and less of our most valuable resource, namely ourselves and the fruits of our labor. Another way of looking at this is that the average taxpayer works from January 1st until mid or late April, depending on the state that you live, to pay federal, state, and local taxes. That means we're going on four months out of the year and we do not have the rights to decide how the fruits of our labor will be used. Somebody else makes that decision. Now keep in mind that a working definition of slavery is that you work all year and it is someone else that makes the decision how the fruits of your labor will be used. Now in the economic sphere, the founders thought that relatively free markets or what is called capitalism, was the most effective social organization for the promotion of individual freedom. Indeed, capitalism is defined as a system wherein individuals are free to pursue their own interests so long as they do not violate the private property rights
0: of others. What he's getting at here, Barbara, is that we're losing more and more of our freedom as taxes go up. Only Walter Williams would dare say something like that,
2: well he's right uh, and then to, to to sort of equate it to slavery is even more um remarkable i mean he he just he really he he was a wonderful, very talented e- economist and um we're, you're lucky to have known him jim and your and your listeners are lucky to have heard him on your on your show
0: and uh he was impossible for local talk show hosts to get, especially podcasts. He didn't do podcasts. Yet he liked Jane and I very much. And I think, again, it's because Jane defected from a communist country.
1: It had nothing to do with me. He liked you. He talked to you for a long time when you were on the radio. So cut it out.
2: Yeah. Jim, as I recall, on, on one of the times he was on the radio, he had just gotten back from a dentist appointment, and he was full of Novocaine, and he said, but Jim, I wouldn't miss it. I mean, that's that was that was him.
0: I remember that time. He wouldn't miss my show. Yep, yeah, exactly. And we, we would call him up like you, Barbara. We, I'd call him up and I'd say, hey, Walter, I'm doing a show on Wednesday. Would you mind coming on? He said, no problem whatsoever, Jim. I'll be right there. He did it twice for us on this podcast. By the way, if you go to radioadviceonline.com right now, Steve Mayhouse put up our own tribute, tribute to Walter E. Williams. He's reposted our interviews that we did. So if you want to hear what we did with him, go to radioviceonline.com. It's right at the top of the page. Barbara, on to what we brought you on for. That's legal, okay. Uh, Let's get, first of all, to the COVID restrictions, Barbara. I guess in California, you can limit the number of people going to a church, but not limit it to a strip club. Is that it?
2: Well, yes, Jim, but there was a Supreme Court decision the other day that has somewhat changed that. And it's a case involving the state of New York. And the state of New York was sued by um, a Roman Catholic diocese and two Orthodox Jewish synagogues. And the reason that the state was sued was that these, I'm going to just generically say churches, had been put in the, quote, red zone uh, by Governor Cuomo. And if you were in the red zone... You were limited to no more than 10 people at any worship service. Um, that was now, a violation of, course, of First you, Amendment right? Yes. Well, the deal there was, Jim, and this is what one of the things that I think swayed the court uh, that that limited uh, number of people applied only in this case to churches. Um, it didn't apply to what the state deemed to be a quote essential business, and to be in a, a church wasn't essential, believe it or not. But what the state classified as essential were things like um, any plant manufacturing chemicals, any plant manufacturing microelectronics, any transportation service or building, such as, for example, Grand Central Station, um, any hardware store, any bike store, any liquor store, any acupuncturist, so the the those people did not have to abide by the uh, no more than ten people in your store rule. They could have as many as they wanted, and I think um, that may have been one of the reasons why the Supreme Court did what it did. Um, basically, it it the the court found that uh, religion is what we call a, a fundamental right. And if you're going to do anything to abridge a fundamental right, the courts look at it with what's called a strict scrutiny. In this case, there was no way you could possibly justify only 10 people in a synagogue, but as many as you wanted in a hardware store or a liquor store. And and so the, the court basically said, no, uh, these Putting people in these zones is um, is is unconstitutional. The decision, curiously, was a five-four decision, um, and it was Justice Thomas, Alito, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Barrett who found that New York's um, rules were unconstitutional. And the the other four justices basically took the position. And this is kind of curious. What they did was they said, "Well, churches and synagogues are now in the yellow zone, and thus they can uh, have fifty percent of capacity in their churches and synagogues." It sounds like They're an no airport don't the park, red park zone, in the yellow zone. So this question
0: is moot. It sounds like a uh, like an airport don't post in the white don't park in the white zones. The are not for loading or, no, or unloading.
2: Yeah, it just, uh, these were sort of arbitrary things, and I, and I think that's the reason that the court did what the court did. Um, there was no way you could justify the distinction, for example, between a church and a hardware store. Um, one of the things that the decision points out is <clears throat> that the state of New York offered absolutely no evidence that COVID was being spread wildly in churches and synagogues as opposed to other places, um, other, other businesses. So basically the court found that the restrictions were not what we call neutral, and because they're not neutral, they had to be thrown out.
0: Um meaning that they were what? It wasn't equal under the eyes of the law, is that the Yeah,
2: point? exactly, exactly. Uh, churches seen, the sense you got from the opinion, although it wasn't said, <clears throat> the sense you got was that churches and synagogues were being singled out for some unknown reason and other businesses didn't have the same the same restrictions and there was no logical reason for that. Uh, somebody. But they were talking about, you know, in, in terms of the churches and, and the synagogues, this is fascinating, Jim. Um, all, almost all of the churches in question in, in New York that were in this red zone were able to seat 500 people. Fourteen of those churches were able to seat 700 people. And two of those churches were able to sit, seat 1,000 people. And to limit limit their attendance to 10 people under those circumstances really makes no logical sense. Um, I think Justice Gorsuch said it best when he said, even if the Constitution has to take a holiday during this pandemic, it cannot take a sabbatical.
1: Um. Somebody said that uh, ten is the basic number for a Jewish ceremony uh, in a chapel. Well, it
2: absolutely is, and what would happen there? You had for a, a, a Jewish uh, ceremony, you needed ten men at, in attendance to have basically a quorum. So, what was happening in, with the Jewish synagogues is all women were basically excluded. <laughs>
1: Because you couldn't have a quorum without ten men. But they're pro women. Yep, on the left. Anyway. Yeah. So, well, that's what they say. Yeah, that was like with the funerals—you can have thirty people, but for celebration, only ten. Yeah.
2: Exactly. Exactly. So now. Precisely.
1: They're also uh, uh, recommending that uh, we should not travel for Christmas like they recommended that we should not travel for um, Thanksgiving. I wonder if they will stop recommending and will start um, banning. Um, the quarantine went down from 14 days to 10 days and 7 days if you're tested negative.
2: Yes, it did. Uh, that's right. Those are the new CDC gui- guidelines. Now, every state can do whatever the heck it wants.
1: That's the scary uh, that's part, what the
2: too. CD- I know. What, that's what the CDC has said, is that that's all that's really needed.
1: So now, So now each governor is going to be able to decide who needs the vaccine and who doesn't. So I'm really scared because, I mean, you know, you want to take the vaccine, go ahead and take it. But there are people that can't take it. Are those people going to be banned from everything forever?
2: I, I I don't think so, but if you can't take it, I'm sure that there's some re- there there would be an exemption there. I don't know of any state so far that's even thinking of mandating the vaccine, but maybe they will. Well, I mean, we we look at, for example, you know, for kids going to school, they need the measles, mumps, smallpox uh, vaccine, um, period. That's Barbara, that. that's that, there's no exception.
0: We're talking with the Soundoff sister, former assistant U.S. attorney and law professor at the University of Miami. Barbara, Marcus writes this to you right now. Facts matter. Where is it? Facts matter because of historical and disparate.
1: First matter because of historical and present disparate treatment, treatment of, different of different people.
0: What is he uh-huh. talking about there? What is Marcus well, talking about there, Barbara?
2: Well, basically disparate, uh, disparate treatment or disparate impact is you take an action against somebody, let's say they have blue eyes and you decide you don't like blue eyes, but you don't take the same action against somebody with, with, with brown eyes. Um, that would be a situation where where that would apply, and and, and Marcus is right. This is definitely a, a, a disparate impact um, case, in the sense that I don't think the governor had in his mind, "I'm going to go after churches and synagogues," but that was the operational effect of his order. If you
0: have so it was a question, a for this- impact. If you have a question for the Sound Off sister, just type it into the chat room, and we'll relay it to Barbara. Just type in your question for her, and we'll relay it to her. Or you could call the other line, I suppose.
1: Well, that's always and we could
0: relay it to her that a bit way. A
1: complicated, but it's eight six zero eight 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 two one zero one, and I'll type it in.
2: But another another piece of the of the case, I think I told you, the dissent said, well, these these um, churches and synagogues are now in the orange zone, and so we shouldn't really care too much about this. Um, and as Justice Kavanaugh pointed out in her, his concurring opinion, he said, yes, but the governor has said uh, that he has the power to change classifications anytime he wants to. And so that would mean that that if he did that, these churches would then have to turn around and start their lawsuits all over again. And it makes more sense to deal with this issue now. And he's right. I mean, I'm, the expense of taking something to the Supreme Court is, I mean, we're not talking cheap here, and to say to a church, "Well, you're good now. You're you're out of that zone. And so come back if you have any problems in the future." That's just to me. That is just not the way the law should operate. We're
0: talking to libertarian legal lawyer and former law professor and former assistant U.S. attorney Barbara Weisich. Barbara is our guest today. We're talking to, about recent. So recent Supreme Court decision correct barbara
2: yes uh, the decision came out gosh uh the Wednesday evening before Thanksgiving
0: and do we have any so it other came decisions out a, a coming week up. ago and do we have any other decisions on hand coming up soon that will impact well, our audience?
2: It- Uh, Jim, there was an interesting case that was argued yesterday, but um, I'll tell you a little bit about it. But the question there was whether or not, for the purposes of determining the number of representatives that a particular state has in the House of Representatives, whether or not illegal immigrants who happen to live in a state should be counted as part of the state's population. Oh, we don't have a decision on that yet. No, we don't. I don't think we will either. Um, For a while, what happened was this, although this question has been bouncing around for the courts for a while. uh, What happened when they got to the, um, to the, to the oral argument, the attorney for the federal government basically said, please delay any decision on this. And the reason he he said that was because this, under our law, the results of the census must be presented to the president on January 1st. And what the attorney said was there just isn't enough time now between now and January 1st for the Department of Commerce to be able to figure out how many people in any given state are illegal immigrants. So the, the, the attorney argued that the any decision should be deferred. So whether we're ever going to see a decision on this is anybody's guess. How about
1: about the whistleblowers that were convenient for the left with the Russian collusion and now are being ignored by the left? The the, the same uh, side that was really siding with the whistleblowers against Trump, are now saying completely ignoring the whistleblowers on the election. People that saw things. Oh, people that are that, testifying in person, not not somebody without true. a name. It's I, th- I find you know, it funny.
2: It, it's ironic, you know. Whistleblower in this case, the, with respect to the election, the whistleblowers aren't helpful um, uh, to the press. And so, um we, we have to ignore them, mm. but when it was helpful to the press, in which case it, they thought it was hurting Donald Trump, they thought whistleblowers were wonderful.
0: Mm. Barbara, we're walking around the elephant in the room right now. That would be Dana Perino. You remember this sound bite from <laughs> month five yesterday. Yeah,
3: you know exactly how to do it. Conservative administrations typically don't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, as conservative women, you just are
1: like, you know you're not going to get the glowing profile, so you just get your shit done. Right. Oh, <laughs> you're
0: uh, done. Little yeah. Dana Prino, get your shit done. <laughs> little, little yeah. uh-huh. car girl Dana Prino. Do you know the context to that bite, Barbara? I keep asking the people in the... In our group. No, I do, was. I do not. She said conservatives don't normally do that. So she said to the conservatives, it's time to get your blank done. Well, somebody who always has her blank to the wall and gets her blank in order, and is Barbara Vicevich, the sound off sister. Barbara, at least we can say about you, you have your blank together.
2: I certainly hope so. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, the other th- new thing that we saw today is that there was a hint about uh, if if the the election doesn't get resolved the way we are hoping it will, that the president will run again in 2024. Have you heard anything on that?
2: Well, I've heard a lot of people suggest that. I think he, that he would run in 2024 and it would not surprise me um, at all if he did. Um, because I think he believes he has a lot of, um, unfinished, unfinished business. business.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that was, uh, that was, um, Martha was saying, what's Martha's um, last name?
0: Martha McCallum.
1: McCallum. She was, she said that, that it was hinted very strongly from, uh, Trump's, uh, administration that he would run again. That wouldn't surprise
2: me at all. Barbara, this was on
1: Fox News
0: yesterday. Can I get you to comment on this? This is Fox listing the legal challenges that Donald Trump has so far posted.
2: We think there's going to be a lot of litigation because we have so much evidence, so much proof, and it's going to end up perhaps at the highest court in the land. We'll see. But we think there will be a lot of litigation because we can't have an election stolen by like this.
3: There you've got uh, the president uh, last night uh, talking about How he's moving things to the courts, bringing the latest legal action in the state of Nevada. So how does this process work and what happens next? Join us right now is law professor and Fox News contributor Jonathan Turley. Joining us from, as you can see, uh, he's uh, actually in the president's
4: front lawn, it looks like right now, in front of the White House. Jonathan, good morning to you. That's right. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, so the president last night uh, demanded uh, that uh, they stop
3: counting the ballots because he said there's fraud. Uh, he's uh, talking about lawsuits. He says there's so much evidence, as we just heard, in that. I think at this point we, we need to see the evidence, Right.
4: Right. Rock. I mean, it, When a president says there's going to be a lot of litigation, uh, that all the legal analysts feel warm and tingly uh, and, um, and an angel gets its wings because, uh, it, you know, litigation is a blood sport when it comes to elections. Uh, I think I'm the only attorney currently not under retainer by one of the two campaigns, <laughs> uh, which is why I'm speaking to you today. Right. And hey, Barbara,
0: you're not under retainer by Trump, are you? No, I am not. I assure you, you and Charlie are the only two left.
2: I think, I think it. That's it. We're down to a small group. Barbara, I thought you'd be in Arizona
0: by now. The contested contested states are which states? Arizona, Nevada. uh,
2: Basically, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, Arizona, Nevada, and perhaps Georgia. Are ones where you know on Jim this is infuriates me <clears throat> when I, when I will turn on the news and I keep hearing, and the president quote without evidence unquote uh, is suggesting there was fraud. I can't believe that these news people can say without evidence i don't know I, apparently they have not been listening to the hearings that have been going on in these it's states. There was an extensive hearing in Pennsylvania, uh, another extensive hearing in Nevada, and I think others are scheduled in Wisconsin and Michigan, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, and boatloads of evidence have, have come out. In the Pennsylvania case, believe it or not, there was testimony from a, a mail carrier who testified That he picked up boxes of ballots in Bethpage, New York, and drove them to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania.
0: He said pallets. He had pallets, boxes of ballots on pallets, Barbara.
2: Yes, I know. How, how is that not evidence of something strange? Why were Pennsylvania's, quote, absentee or mail-in ballots? How did they somehow find their way to Bethpage, New York, and then all of a sudden have to go to Harrisburg? There's There are too many things like that, Jim, where I don't know what the answer is. I, I have no idea. But as someone looking at it, looking at just those kinds of facts, I have to say, mm, something went wrong. I, I, I heard today, and again, I don't know whether this is true, uh, but apparently in Nevada they've discovered that three or four thousand people have voted twice.
0: No, so we, it, we can fully expect that, the, Barbara. They say so far there aren't enough ballots to overturn the election, but that's not true, is it?
2: Well, I don't know the answer to that, Jim. I have no money. I have no idea how many ballots were driven from New York to Pennsylvania. I don't know whether that would be enough to overturn it. It depends on how you look at it. And again, I have not um uh, I have not listened to all of the hearings and all of the testimony that has been presented in the various states. I just hear little snippets here and there and mostly because the mainstream media isn't reporting any of this so most americans all they hear is quote without evidence they they don't hear the testimony of the plain old ordinary people who have come forward perhaps at great risk and and told us what happened
0: It's like the old joke where you say to your dog, you sit down over there until your food is ready to be served. And all the dog hears is food ready to be served.
2: Yes, exactly. Exactly. Anyway, th-
0: you so remember am- this one, Barbara, an oldie but a goodie.
4: ...mights than anywhere else. Anywhere, churches, parks, and areas. But what, where, 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 what's the difference between that and something here? It's something right? there. No, people, and those you. over there.
0: You, and those over there. But you got this with a picture.
4: That's the yeah. difference.
0: This has got a picture on it.
4: What does it that mean? That don't have a picture
0: on it. It
3: doesn't
4: have anybody. So what?
3: It doesn't have So it leaves the picture down. If you don't, if you put the picture back up, you will be charged with trespass, and then you will have to go. Okay.
4: Well, wait a second. I'm charged with trespassing? I said you will be. But that's not trespassing,
3: any... If I told you once to take it down and you put it back up, then yeah. I can charge you whatever I want to charge you with. Okay?
4: So i telling you. So you, you make to... the law too? Put the picture it's down, sir. Thank you. It, this is America. This used to be America. It, it ain't no more,
5: okay?
2: I know it ain't. That's the part, point of the picture. The U.S. There
0: you go. This yeah, is America that... it used to be America. It ain't no more. Yeah.
2: It ain't no more. And so I, I, I really I have to say, Jim. Regardless of the the ultimate outcome, I do personally think it is very important for uh, President Trump to do what he's doing. Um, Tell us why if, it's important, Barbara. Well, if we as we suspect there was. There were major irregularities with this election. We have to get to the bottom of it. We have to find out what, what what they were, and we have to make sure it never happens again. I mean, we have an election coming up in two years, uh, the midterm elections. We can't have something like this so, ever happen again. So, but, we can't have election day turn into election month. So we have to find out what went wrong. So- um,
1: So we have to have confidence. We have to have confidence that we...
2: Exactly. We have to have confidence in it. And right now, me personally, based on what little I have heard, I really don't have confidence. And that doesn't mean that I think that, that Trump won or that Biden won. It means I don't have confidence in whatever they say.
0: Barbara, by the way, I just tried to share our live video with the Simsbury, Connecticut page. They declined, mm-hmm. our, they declined our post, so apparently, apparently we're not liberal enough.
1: <laughs> I was going to say, why are well, you surprised? Didn't you see the signs on their oh, everybody's lawn, just about everybody's lawn in Simsbury?
0: Tucker Carlson took our post, though, and so did Virtual Happy Hour took our post. A
1: lot of, a lot of sites did, but you, we have two that declined us. Uh, one uh, one was a couple of weeks ago, and one is today. That's funny. Well, sounds very there, no surprise there. there.
2: You know, we're we're. Big. That's another thing that I think we also need to get to the bottom of this random censoring uh, by, by, yeah, by Facebook, by by Twitter. We can't have that. I, we, we, I'm sorry, I don't believe it now. Even if I don't like the political opinion that someone is is giving me, that doesn't mean I have the power or should have the power to ban it.
0: I would think you would That's want wrong. to listen to what a communist refugee has to say. I would think you, you would, would want to hear that.
2: But, Jim, you would always want to hear what someone that doesn't agree with you has to say. But you always gets, want to do that. The,
1: the power that you have is you can block that person if it gets too acidic. And it has been sure. so horrible, some of these things. Uh, just People go crazy. But,
2: but that's but that's your choice, right. Jane. Exactly. No, that's what I'm not, saying. Not somebody else's choice. I agree.
0: In the meantime, let me play. This is courtesy of Fox News. Barbara, uh,
5: uh, uh, this is Rudy Giuliani on Fox News. Thank you very much for coming. Uh, this is um, representative of our. He's legal talking team. about the legal challenges filed by Donald Trump's president Trump, vast we're legal the Trump team. campaign. Uh, when I finish, uh, Sidney Powell and then, and then Jenna Ellis will follow me, and we will present in brief the evidence that we've collected over the last, I guess it is two weeks. Also uh, Joseph of Jennifer, Victoria Tenzing are here with me. There are a lot more lawyers working on this, but we're the, I guess we're the, we're the senior lawyers, <laughs> and Boris Epstein. So I guess the best way to describe this is when we began uh, our representation of the president, we, we certainly uh, were confronted with a very anomalous set of results. The president way ahead on election night, seven or 800,000 in Pennsylvania. Somehow he lost Pennsylvania. We have statisticians willing to testify that that's almost statistically impossible to have happened in the period of time that it happened. But of course, that's just speculation. As we started investigating, um, both our investigations and the very um, patriotic and brave American citizens that have come forward are uh, extraordinary. Extraordinary number of people, extraordinary number of witnesses. And what emerged very quickly is, is there's not a singular voter fraud in one state. This pattern repeats itself in a number of states. Almost exactly the same pattern. Which, um, to any experienced investigator, prosecutor, would suggest that there was a, a plan from a centralized place to execute these various acts of voter fraud, specifically focused on big cities. So and specifically Bar- focused on
0: Barbara, as an attorney, advantage. does Rudy, Gio- Rudy Giuliani have a point here? Democrats.
2: Well, Jim, I think he does in the sense that I'll put on my my old AUSA hat. Things are strange. Now, that doesn't mean I have a case, but I I, I look at what is strange and I say, okay, let's see what I can do to get to the bottom of this, to identify everything that is strange, and to see how it could possibly have happened. So from that standpoint, I, I do think he has a point. Um, there are too many anomalies. I mean, for example, why did four states all shut down their vote counting um, in the early morning hours after Election Day? How did that happen? Why did that happen? I, I, you know, those are the kinds of things that I, as a prosecutor, would look at and say something weird is happening here. And I just don't know what it is yet. Now, whether there's going to be enough time to get to the bottom of that um, before the electoral college meets, I have no idea. But, but I do know search. that many of the many of the challenges I think Jim are going to end up being challenges on legal issues, such as. Um, changing voter law, quote-unquote, at the last minute. So this is not just about Trump. You know, this is about our Constitution is simple, Jim. It says basically that when it comes to elections for the president, um, the legislatures of each of the states get to set the mode, method, and and manner of, of the elections. What we had here in several states, we had judges doing that. So, but judges aren't included in that section of the Constitution. So the question then becomes constitutionally, are the changes by judges uh, constitutional? And if not, what, if anything, can we do about it at this point in time? So there are more, there are issues, certainly in addition to the facts, there are legal issues that apply in several states concerning the air voting procedure being changed at the last minute by someone other than the legislature.
0: Well, Barbara, we have to move along, unfortunately. I really thank you very much. Any closing thoughts before we say goodbye? No, I can't think of anything, Jim. Anything you want to say about Walter Williams or about the Uh, court cases? I'm going to miss him. I'm going to miss Walter. Is the Trump versus Biden election, is it over yet?
2: Oh boy, that's a tough question, Jim. It depends on how a court can handle what I just talked about—the legal issues. How do you deal with that? Is
0: this going to the Supreme Court, in your opinion?
2: Oh, oh, I think I, certainly the Pennsylvania case will go to the Supreme Court. I don't know about the others, but Pennsylvania definitely will.
0: Well, Barbara, thank you for joining us. Barbara, take a bow. Uh, round of applause from the audience, please. <laughs> Too kind. <laughs> Barbara, thank you very much. The Sound Off sister, former AUSA and law professor at the University of Miami. No, I won't.
1: Thanks, Barbara.
0: Thank you, Barbara. Bye, Jim. Bye, Jane. And Bye. we will back down. We'll always stand for a smaller, lamer lesson of I just was
1: I just wanted to t- people call in. <laughs> and yeah, you didn't ask that. her how much time she had.
0: Sorry, let's take some phone calls. <laughs> if
1: anybody case. wants to come in. <laughs>
0: So we'll take Colin, your phone calls it's, um, now. Um, what's eight, the number?
1: 860-996-0308. Um, wasn't there some, um, and I'm going to sound stupid, there, is there a voting committee? Uh, there's like association that has, I don't know what's the right word. They, have, um, they oversee the um, elections. There have been some um, irregularities going on over there for the longest time.
0: Philadelphia for the longest time.
1: Oh, well, I don't think that's the only state, but um, is is it on state levels or is it on federal levels?
0: Generally, it's on municipal levels.
1: I'm um, really stupid, um, but...
0: No, you're not stupid at all.
1: Anyways, um, if you want to give us a call, I saw um, Tim was listening. Tim, Tim me, give us a call. Linda, Tim,
0: 860-996-0308. Nine nine six zero three zero eight.
1: Deborah said hi to you.
0: Hey, Deborah, uh, how you doing?: Wink, wink.: Linda's, Linda thinks the whole, thing, the whole tribute to uh, Walter Williams was beautiful, by the way. We do too. Oh, uh, we love you, Barbara. We love, we love her too. It was last minute that we were able to get her to. She's
1: great, and you were just sucking the life out of her today. <laughs> you were horrible.
0: What was this? I was shocked about Connecticut. I didn't vote for him, and was I was my shocked response. how Connecticut This was
1: voted. my response to Tom, who said, I don't remember crowning him, uh, crowning Ted, or Ned Lamont, a king. I said I didn't vote for him, which I was really shocked with Connecticut. I'm, I'm just, I don't get it.
0: Eight six zero nine nine six zero three zero eight. Eight six zero nine nine six zero three zero eight. I'm
1: surprised that nobody rammed me in my car yet because I, I have two stickers. One says my cat is a Democrat. The other one says my dog is a Democrat. And in between it says and it looks like the logo of Obama's second um, campaign. But it says bent over over here comes the change. So I'm just waiting for somebody. Maybe we can take my car to the claims after that. um well why don't you give us a call and tell us how was your holiday or restricted or uh, tell us
0: do you think donald trump will run again for president if he doesn't win this time around he's not done will donald trump run again 860-996-0308 and would you like him to run again 860-996-0308.
1: 8609960308 And all this talk on the left about how people hate him and the hatred and that's why he lost because we hate him. I didn't see any hatred on our side, did you? And people that were undecided.
0: And would you like to see Donald Trump run again if he doesn't make it this time around? 8609960308
1: Um, does Connecticut use Dominion systems for elections?
0: I don't know. That's a good question.
1: I wish you, you posted it sooner. Um, I have to look it up.
0: But if you're looking for our tribute to Walter E. Williams, you put our own up there, which includes our interviews with Walter Williams. Go to radioviceonline.com. It's up there right now, and thanks to Steve McCow for doing it so quickly. We had nothing planned. Caught us by surprise. I'm sure it caught Walter by surprise as well.
1: Mm. You know what I wanted to say with Barbara when uh, she was talking about the evidence? Um, they Timmy
0: can't call because he's pulling the wagon. Uh, we we'll pull harder, uh, Timmy. <laughs> pull harder. We need more money for the government.
1: What do you have, square wheels now? Um, what I wanted to say when we were talking about the evidence that the left is looking for, when left didn't have evidence against Kavanaugh, um, they produced it. They made it up, didn't they? They do that on continuous basis, just um, that the rep- Republicans are playing it straight or are they back down. Okay, we're going to have to end this because you're not doing well.
0: Uh, Steve McGowan wrote in his comments on the Walter E. Williams post, he wrote, true rights such as those in our Constitution or those considered to be neutral or human rights exist simultaneously among people, that means exercise of, of a right by one does not diminish rights held by another. That was written by Walter E. Williams. Thank you, Steve, for posting that. When, In other words, one right doesn't diminish the rights of another by held by another person. That's a true libertarian view. If you're wondering, wondering what the definition of a libertarian is, that's the definition of a libertarian. So now we'll play our closing music. How's that?
1: Barbara Martin, yes, I would like Trump to run again, but do you really believe we will ever have a legal election again well, if Biden is our president? That's down. a scary thought because no, I I've lived in that system.
0: And we down. won't back down. We'll always stand you for a smaller, leaner, less intrusive government.
2: Of hell, but I won't back down. Gonna stand my ground Won't be turned around And I'll keep this world from dragging me down Gonna stand my ground And I won't back down Hey, baby There ain't no easy way out Hey, I will stand my
3: crown And I won't back down